Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Church, you doing well? Hey, it's so good to be with you here in person. Online fam, it's good to see you hypothetically, or you see me. Joining us this morning, 10 a.m. service. It's wonderful. And as Pastor Peter said, we are finishing off our series, Give As God Gives. Uh, and this is a series we do regularly every year as a church around this time of year um, as we sort of celebrate the concept of God giving us his son in Christ and his arrival in humility. We take the time to focus on the concepts of godly generosity. And today we're finishing off with our legacy offering. And We heard in the first uh, part of this series, to give as God gives is to give as God is, Uh, which is, I know, takes time to get your head around that sentence, but if you want to review that message, it's online. And then we had Pastor Brent Cantle on with us last week, and I don't know about you, but it was such a blessing just to have his wisdom and his authority speak into, and, and his experience in what God does in and through our generosity. And He spoke about the five biblical principles of kingdom giving. And once again, you can watch that online. And today we're talking about the idea of giving towards a shared legacy. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, or maybe you you haven't heard of the concept of an offering, uh, for us as believers in Christ, it's really good for us to delineate between a tithe and an offering. Um, And both of them are an expression towards our God as Father. One is out of obedience, and one is out of an intimate sense of love. Now, don't get me wrong, I know both of them come together and they make a holistic approach towards our God. But if I could paint a picture for you this morning, it would look like this. You thought I was going to paint something, didn't you? Uh, if you, if you, you would know, if you don't know, you're not going to know now. Uh, we have three wonderful kids, they're all very different. Um, we got Levi, who is 11 years old, Alice, who is 9, and then Eden, who is 5. And if you've spent any time with us, it doesn't take you long to realize that Eden is a daddy's girl, like through and through. It's not hard. Like, I know I'm in trouble. So Peter said, if you've you got the heart to pray, pray for me. Because she's 5, and I know that I'm in a lot of trouble. And uh, this is the picture I want to paint between tithe and offering every night. Emma tells the kids before they go to bed, go kiss your father goodnight. Go say goodnight to him. And they will all come, right? Because it's a part of the routine. They understand it as a position of reverence and honor to say goodnight to your father before you go to bed. And so they'll come. Each of them will give me a kiss and a hug and go to bed. It's beautiful. It's one of the greatest you know, treasures and gifts God will ever give you is that moment every night. To a point that I know when they're all adults and living their own lives, I will thoroughly miss that moment. But Eden is different to the other two. They'll all come. She usually is the last to give me a kiss goodnight, and I think she plans it. They'll come, give me a kiss, and leave. Eden will come and give me a kiss, because why? Mum told him that's what you do. And they understand it's a routine, it's rhythm. It's like tithing. We understand that it's a part of our process in our rhythm of each week that we would tithe to God. We'd give what is owed to him, what is his, what belongs to him. And in the same sense, a goodnight kiss is, or a goodnight hug is a... This is a reverent opportunity to show dad I love you and I'm acknowledging you're my dad. I'm going to go to bed. Eden, however, is different. She will come. She will give me a kiss and a hug. She will look into my eyes. And then she will leave the room. Like it's all drama, right? She will leave the room, wait probably five seconds, and then she'll rush back into the room and she will give me a second kiss and a second hug. And she'll say, I love you, dad. 
It's so beautiful, isn't it? That's why I'm in trouble. The picture I'm painting for you is, if the good night is our tithe, then Eden's behavior, which is purely out of love and adoration for dad, is the offering. It's not in the routine. It's not been asked of her. It's not, it's not something that she has to do. This is out of pure love and adoration for her dad that she runs back in. She gives me a hug and she gives me a kiss. Why? Because she wants to bless me. She wants to know how much I love or she loves me based on the love I've shown her. And in the same sense, when we talk about legacy, I think it's such a a beautiful illustration that we look at the concept of father and daughter or father and son or mother and that whole idea of parental legacy something that God's given us. And we look at these moments. And as we talk about legacy today, and as we come together at the end of this service and we bring our offering as one, it's not out of the routine of the day-to-day. It's out of the acknowledgement that we are absolutely enamored by the love, the provision, the faithfulness, the grace and mercies of our God. And we do this so that, unlike a tithe which is out of obedience, we do this as a sense of gift and blessing. And so we're going to look into this today. And I look at legacy, and the idea of legacy is something that I would say my generation, which is the millennial generation, we struggle to get our heads around or struggle to understand. And a part of that is that we're still young, and legacy tends to be something that you mature into. The concept of legacy comes with the understanding that we receive over time. But there's also a bigger problem that faces my generation and the ones after us, is that the culture we've grown up in has told us that our lives are the center of the universe, right? Like, I remember starting school where if you ran in the athletics carnival, you ran the 100-meter race, only one, two, and three got the ribbons. Now if you run, like, the kids come home and, Dad, Dad, I got a ribbon. What'd you get? 37th. (laughs) Why why do you have a ribbon for 37? Well, Dad, there was 200 people and I came 30. Yeah, but you didn't come first. The Indian in me, what is this? (laughs) We've been told we're the center of the universe. Our generation tends to be so self-absorbed. We can't even see good gifts that we've received from the generations before us. We complain about what was given to us, that we've been able to build our lives of comfort and luxury upon. And we tear it down. And we critique it from our position of ignorance because we've never really felt the pains that the real world can offer those outside of the Western culture. This cultural movement that we live in has told us that you should live for yourself, live for your own comfort. Think about what makes you happy and what makes you feel fulfilled. The overall message being your life is about you. And, And as much as we're like, oh, but we've met Jesus and it's not the case... It still is the case. It's so hardwired into us. It's almost nature over nurture now. It's almost so ingrained in our instinct. Right? When I read Psalms, like I hid your word, Lord, in the depths of my heart that I wouldn't sin against you. I look at that and go, the whole psalmist is talking about an impulse behavior. I hid your words in the depth of my heart so I wouldn't sin against you. So your word would short circuit my natural sinful impulses. Because an impulse is something that happens before we register it's happening. Only the Word of God can rewire that. But when we come here, and especially for us millennials and younger, 
We're like, well, no, we understand it. But do we understand our actual impulse is selfish? Our actual impulse, since the moment we were born, we're told it's all about you, the center of the universe. And legacy for us is something we can actually inherit, which is absolutely rubbish. We can't, legacy is not something you live long enough to inherit. But what makes this message so enticing is that who doesn't want to be comfortable? Let's just be honest. Who doesn't want to be comfortable? Right? Who doesn't want to be happy or fulfilled? Who doesn't want to be the center of attention? And those of you are like, I don't want to be. But we know your type of people. <laughs> oh, it's not, no, it's not me. It's those who can't take compliments but love them. <laughs> All right, you met those people before? Emma's one of them. You give a compliment, it's like, oh, it's not me, it's, it's Jesus. <laughs> but say more. I'm the opposite, like, I'm like, a, I'm selective of whose attention I want. You can ask Emma. I don't want everyone's attention, I want hers. Like, obsessively. Right? You, like the questions I ask her is all about affirmation. <laughs> we all want to be the center of attention, right? And I know it can look differently for different people. But it's such an enticing concept to buy into. See, but the problem with this whole idea of living for yourself alone leads to a very empty life. We know this. The world projects success through this center of tension type of mindset, have as much money as you need. But when you delve into the lives of those that have all of that stuff, you see how empty they are. Right? They just become a tabloid highlight. So-and-so realizes that money cannot fill your life with happiness. So if you pull that thread long enough and you spend only time thinking about you, you find yourself very empty and shallow. And thank goodness our God has invited us to a different kind of living. Like he invited us into a different kind of living. See, God designed his kingdom to work in a different way. We're not the center of the universe. We are, however, beautifully important in all God is doing. Isn't that a lovely tension? We are important. We're just not the center of it. We're designed to live for something greater than ourselves. We are kingdom people. And you've got to remember that. We are different. We're no longer of the world. We're different. We're a new creation. We've been reborn. We are kingdom-minded. And we've made a decision to live by a different set of principles. And this is something we need to be intentional about. It doesn't just happen. It's not like you take a bath, call it a baptism, get out, and everything's done. We have to be intentional about this. It's deciding each and every day, like Christ says, to pick up his cross, pick up your cross, pick up the principles you're going to live by, the values. What makes us different is that we're kingdom people. We don't live for ourselves. We don't live for our comfort alone. We don't live for our happiness alone. Rather, we live with a sense of legacy. And we use the term legacy deliberately today. See, as we grow in the way of Jesus and his kingdom, we continually see all of our life through a different sense, a different lens. We begin to understand that our life, our choices, our habits, all that we do, all that we are, all our investments are for something greater. See, everything you're doing right now for yourself or for God is an investment and it will bear fruit. 
The question is, is it bearing the fruit that brings God honor and glory and worship, or is the fruit of rebellion? See, we can choose to roll the dice of legacy and leave what we hope is something that someone wants. Or we can be thoughtful. We can be principled. We can give it our full attention. We can leave something for the next generation that is magnificent. Don't you want to leave a beautiful gift for the next generation? Something that leaves them in awe and wonder of what God can do with faithful, obedient, heavenly-minded followers of Christ. I want to be someone who lives with intention. Uh, we recently did some sort of tests on personality. If you ever do these tests, they're so funny. They don't define who you are. They're not the Bible. But if you're an argumentative person, it can really fill your ammo stores with just ammo on people. But what we've learned about me on multiple things is that I score really high on literary, which what this means is, is when you talk to me and you use words, whatever words you choose, for whatever reason, my personality type wants to know, did you use the right words? Do you understand the words you've used? And I do the equation. I'm like, if it doesn't match up, I'm going to start asking questions. Why'd you say this? Why'd you use that word? Right? And you'll feel like you're being investigated, but you're not. I'm just wanting to be really clear that you've been fully intentional with what you've said. That's just how I behave. And in many ways, when it comes to how we look at legacy, we need to have the same intention. Everything we've done, how long it is, how wide, how deep, how much time, effort, investment we've put into it. All these intentional moments is what God has demanded of us for our sake. And so we're going to look at the concept of legacy because to be an intentional builder requires you to give time, thought, and effort. We're all called to be master builders. We're all building something, leaving something of value for our children and the generations to come is one of the most important things God has asked of us. We're going to look at several different passages of Scripture today and I'm going to invite you to think I'm going to invite you to take the posture to live towards legacy more than you ever have before. It's what defines us as believers in Jesus, is that we look beyond this moment right now and we build for the unforeseeable within the impossible living God that we serve. So legacy, we see here in 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul writes, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise master builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. Here we see the Apostle Paul writing to a church that he planted, he pioneered, and he's speaking about the care and intention he took when he built what they're living in. And he says, by God's grace, I laid a foundation among you as a master builder. He wasn't trying to build something for his own vanity or his own ego. He didn't build haphazardly. He built with care. He built with intention. This is what he's writing about. He applied great skill and thought to the thing he was called to build. I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. This very scripture verse here that Paul writes tells us that Paul built with an eye to legacy. He's thinking about who was going to build upon what we lay. 
He knew his role. I lay a foundation so someone else can build upon it. He knew what he was doing. Here today, this morning, as we come together as a church, and this evening as well, we're coming together and we're discussing the concept of what are we laying as a foundation? What is our legacy? And there's, there's these multiple inheritances that we're going to speak about. Because legacy is not what we leave behind. Legacy is who we leave behind and what we leave them with. That's legacy. So we're not simply saying, hey, what is the inheritance? We're saying inheritance speaks to legacy, who we leave behind. And therefore, if it was just simply an inheritance, we would only talk about the physical realm. But because we're speaking about legacy and whom we're leaving behind, we must speak of the spiritual realm as well. And we must speak of a vision that must be picked up by the next generation, just like we picked it up from the generation before us. I lay a foundation, someone else will build on it. See, we should understand that our role is not to be the beginning and the end of the story. We but play a mere part in this journey that God has called us to be a part of. So the question we must ask, no matter our age, is, am I building something that has the potential to outlive me? Are you building in your life through Christ something that has the potential to outlive you? Now, once you become parents, that becomes more relevant and real than ever before. But it's not simply confined to your offspring. It's in everything that we're doing. So in your workplace, as you serve that workplace, as you're a disciple in that workplace for Christ, what are you building? And does it have a potential to outlive your presence in that workplace? Are you building something that when people look back on and you're gone, they look back on and say, that person built with intent. They built with care. They built with love. They built something of beauty, something of faithfulness. Is this thing that we're investing together going to make it to the next generation? There's that saying, right? It's a powerful saying. I don't know how true it is, but it suits me right now. And I think it's more of a warning than a reality, but it's the whole idea that the church is only ever one generation away from extinction. I say I don't think it's really real because I know my God is bigger than a single generation. But... There is that warning there for us that the church can either enter into a dark age or a renaissance based on the generations that pass the baton. So if you've got a notepad or your eyelids or your iPhone or whatever you're doing, smartphones and then there's Androids. <laughs> Tech wars, tech wars. I just do what I'm told. I'm a follower. Legacy speaks to multiple things, but we're going to talk about this. It speaks to inheritance. Proverbs 13.22, we see it, it's written, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. It's generational. It's not just for the next generation. We're leaving something that is applicable and will cascade down through the generations. This verse keeps our life goals, our life visions, and the legacy that we're meant to live front and center of how we're choosing to use our money, our resource, our time, each and every day. 
When we weigh what we want now against what we really want later, we realize how temporary satisfaction pales in comparison to a legacy of purpose and generational fulfillment. Is that not the truth this morning? No one gets to the end of their life wishing they hoarded more for themselves. But many reach the end of their life with regret for what they held on to. They regret it. See, we arrived here on the North Shore with the word of God and, and suitcases. I will leave this earth with less. That's the truth, isn't it? How irrelevant what I hold in my hands are at the end of the day if I haven't built something for someone else to build upon. How irrelevant our stories of the glory years mean nothing if we didn't build something that someone else can build upon. See, I think all of us have this desire to leave an inheritance through our life, something that others can benefit from, an inheritance that is not limited to money, and that's really important. It also includes godly character and qualities like integrity and trustworthiness. Combining a financial inheritance with the wisdom and godliness ensures that the next generation will also manage God's blessings, God's way, for God's glory, long after we have all graduated into heaven. And so this morning, before we take up our offering, it's going to be beautiful and the kids are going to come up and they're going to join back with their families because this is something we do generationally. We're going to talk about three different types of inheritances that we're to work towards. The first one is the spiritual inheritance. We need to leave a spiritual inheritance. Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 7. This is one of Emma and I's favorite verses. It says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk with them as you sit in your house and when you go by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. I love that last bit. You will teach them to your children when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. How total, the totality of that statement, that we and every opportunity are to speak, to exhibit, to live the spiritual inheritance we have in Christ Jesus, so that our children would inherit, they would see, they would benefit from that legacy. I love that concept, Emma and I talk about it, by the way, as you walk by the way, there is no moment in your life then that you do not have the responsibility to exhibit the integrity to exhibit the generosity, the holiness, the righteousness, the justice that Christ has demanded upon us, not because we have the strength to do it in ourselves, but as we follow him and as the Holy Spirit empowers us, we become the carriers of these characteristics. And our children watch. Those of you who've had kids and you've raised them in the Lord as they've grown up and you listen to how they pray, you know they've learned that from you. When Eden ends her prayer at dinner time, She says this, and everybody said? (laughs) There's five of us there. Everybody said, amen. Where did she learn that from? She sat in services and she saw her dad and mum pray like that. Or Levi, when he prays, he uses terminology that I use. Lord, would you bless this food to our body in the hands that prepared it? Where did he learn that from? By the way, 
The greatest legacy any of us can invest in is a rich spiritual inheritance. We all leave a spiritual inheritance of some sort. The way you love and follow God, the way you model to others how you love and follow God imprints something on their hearts because they've seen it in you. See, we're so desperate for them to outwardly acknowledge that they've experienced God in your behavior. And therefore, how we behave is often on how they've received it or how they are receiving it, right? And so often, many of us stay quiet. We don't share our faith. We don't exhibit the things of God because we don't think it's going to be received well where God's placed us. But we fail to see that there is a spiritual inheritance in which we are leaving, even for the non-believer, when we actually follow the ways of God outwardly. and Because exi- it will imprint something on their hearts, even if they do not acknowledge it before you. And we know this because there's countless of testimonies where people turn back to their friends they knew were Christians and go, there's something different about you. How do they know that? Because there's a spiritual inheritance that we're leaving wherever God's led us. We must position the next generation to inherit the Word of God, the Holy Scripture, by the way we example it through our lives each and every day. The next generation needs to see that. You need to pray at home. Something's going wrong at school, especially for parents out there. You need to pray with your kids about it. They bang their toe and they cry. And in my head, I'm like, it's just a toe. You still got to pray with them. Why? Because it shows them things. Nothing too big or small to bring before God. For you young adults out here and you're thinking like, well, how does that apply to me? I don't have kids. Well, you do have friends. And your friends could have kids. You do have influence over the generations to come that might not biologically be your kids. That's okay. And if they are and you're 26, we've got to talk about it. How do we do this as young people? How do we... Re- Man, I was 23 when I had Levi. I still pull the face of confusion. Each and every time he grows into the next stage. He's a preteen now, guys. They made up a whole term that didn't exist when I... I never got to be a preteen. We have a responsibility. So if we were to be really frank this morning... As our generation or the younger generations scroll through your Instagram, what are they experiencing? Are they experiencing a spiritual inheritance? Or are they experiencing something of the flesh and carnal living, unhealthy comparison or deceitful projection of what's not real in your life? What you're leaving. We as a church have a call for the generations to come. So collectively, when we come together, when we build and we build into the spiritual inheritance for our kids, for the generation we all must raise together, we do this with complete intention, teaching them the ways of God through Scripture. It's why we have kids' life. It's not babysitting. You hear Andrew talk about it all the time. It's why we have Ali. Because there is a great battle going on. And what are they going to partake of? The spiritual inheritance which God has stored up for them through Christ, which is example through their generations before them living godly lives of intention, building well into the spiritual realms. Or are they going to buy into the inheritance of the world which we know is death, decay, and sorrow? That's the battle. The battle here is between the life-giving inheritance that we have in Christ or the world's inheritance, which is destruction. 
Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he or she would go. Should go, should I say. And even when he or she is older, he will not depart from it. There is something powerful about a spiritual inheritance. Too many testimonies where I was raised in a Christian family, walked away from God. But when things started to get hard or things started to become empty, it's that raised scriptural inheritance that begins to call, begins to echo and ricochet in the empty tomb of someone's life, looking for something greater than this world can offer. Can we not ever underestimate our demand? And so why do we do what we do? Why do we run life groups? Why do we disciple leaders? Why do we run age programs? Why do we plant churches? Why do we constantly believe for more? It's because blue lights. I don't mind, man, if this helps. Try to pick my mood with the lighting. Why do we do this? Because we're building into a spiritual inheritance, which leads me to my next point, the physical inheritance. And we ask the worship team to come. Joshua 4, 21 says this, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. The picture here is where Israel finally steps into the promised land. They cross over through the miracle of God, the provision of God through the Jordan River. Do we know this story well? He causes it to dry up. They cross over and then he asks a man from each tribe to come lay a memorial stone. Why? Well, we just heard. So that when the generations come and ask, why are these stones here? What took place? Then the physical inheritance of those stones would tell them that our God did it then. He can do it now and he'll do it again. Our physical inheritance we leave for the generations to come is not so that they could feel rich in the wealth of assets, but they would feel rich in the wealth that our God is the God of the impossible. And if he can do it for my father and my mother's generation, why can't he do it for mine? That's what that is all about. So why do we do and why do we build in the physical realm so well? Well, for two reasons. One, we want to show them that our God is a God of provision and that as we come together in faith, we can achieve the impossible even when the world says it's not impossible. Or it says it's impossible, sorry. We know our God says it's not impossible. When we arrived here, they said to us, you'll never own land, you'll never own a building. You'll always be in high schools bumping in and out if they let you. This will be a hard slog for you. This is what they told us. And it's all true. Those were, those were the realities of trying to plant a church on the North Shore. But look at what God did. Look what He's doing. He does not respect the logic of this world. This building doesn't just go, oh, wow, look, it's really good for our balance sheet. That's not, that's not why it's here. Do you know what's really good for this physical asset? To declare that our God is the God of the impossible. To declare the God that we serve will have His way, that He's not finished yet, He's still on the move, that He can resurrect anything, especially our lives. It's not just to further the cause of Christ in their time as we hand this over to the next generation. It's also to remind them that we serve the God of miracles, the way maker. I love to surround myself with those that are seasons ahead of me. Because as I sit and I listen to their stories of what God has done, it stirs my faith as I sit and stand or partake of their physical inheritance that they're so generous to let me to partake of, not only is it enjoyable in the current season, it's also a reminder of what God can do when faithful people build with intention, build with care, 
and build with quality and beautiful work. We see in 1 Chronicles, David, the king says, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. If you know this story well, David's heart, his desperate desire was to build the very temple for God. But when he went about doing that, God said to him, Hey, you can't do that because you've shed blood as a warrior. This is going to actually pass to your son Solomon to do. And I love David's response. It's not like, woe is me. Why not me? God, I've suffered for 40 years. Why don't you just let me do this one thing for you? He doesn't take the posture of selfishness. Do you know what he says? Well, my son's inexperienced. I got limited time. And in this time, I'm going to prepare something. Why? I'm going to prepare something. I'm going to make preparations. I'm going to give resources. Like the resources David stored up for Solomon to use to build the temple billions of dollars worth of resources. He's storing up for the next generation to build. The physical inheritance is not just a a finished building. It's so that they can build greater things. I love what he says. It's got to be magnificent and it's got to bring God fame and it's got to bring splendor in the sight of all nations. Isn't that not what we want to build for our King and our Lord? Is that not what we want to empower the next generation to do? I want them to build stuff that is way better, way cooler, way more effective, way more magnificent, way more uh, in greater splendor than what we've ever done. I want the fame of God to be even larger under their care than it was under our care requires us to leave a physical inheritance. And the last one is that we've got to leave them a vision inheritance. Many vision deficiencies, what affects our ability to see, is something that we inherit from our parents. I wear glasses, right? Why do you think I wear glasses? Not to look cool, but it does help with my size face, so it's good. I wear glasses because I have the same eyesight my mum has because she had a vision deficiency. Therefore, I wear the same glasses. It was just passed down generationally, right? Through my genome. It's fine. It's been helpful, especially because I'm carrying a bit of weight. But in the same sense, when it comes to the vision God has given us as a church, this will be restricted by the deficiencies we hand the next generation. But what I love is that we get to have control in and through God what those deficiencies could look like or not be even present when we hand it over. If our vision as a church is restricted, badly strategized, filled with fear or recklessness, then we will pass that on to the next generation as a deficient vision. But Christ, our Jesus... And I say that our Jesus has called us to leave a vision that empowers the future generation and inspires them to what? To run harder, to run further, press deeper into the enemy territory because they have inherited a vision that is cast, built and sustained by a firm foundation. This is what we're doing. We're building in our legacy a vision of inheritance. Matthew 28, 18, 20 is so famous. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. 
And behold, I will always be with you to the end of the age. My great hope is that as a church, we would like no other generation before us give our children a sense of purpose, direction, and mission like this world has never seen before. Kids Life is going to join us in a moment, which is exciting. And if you have kids that are currently in Kids Life, they're going to come and join you. And that's actually going to be the sign out process. (laughs) FYI. Because they're a part of this. Some of my earliest memories of the concept of generosity towards God was sitting with my parents as we gave in to church offerings like this, having no any concept of really what was going on. But as I grew older, God would illuminate those memories with great importance in my life, like memory stones placed as beacons, as markers. And for us here, it doesn't matter how old we are, the same applies now. What we do now will be a beacon and a marker that God will illuminate in times to come to remind us that we are called to be built with great intention a legacy this is what we're going to do and I think it's really powerful and I said it to the team this morning giving to God should never be done without a conversation with God the conversation is just as important as what you give and so we're going to head back into a time of worship kids are going to join their parents we're going to worship together and we've been saying this for the last few weeks seek God ask God what you want what you believe he's asking you to partner with in this legacy offering now some of you have already done that and I understand why I'm the same some of you it's going to happen today but we're asking all of you that call Avant Life home we're going to worship together and in your households and your family have that prayerful conversation with God God we're doing this because we love you because we adore you because we know the legacy that you've called upon us as a church to partner with in your bride is something that's going to outlast our time and we want to set the example in the physical in the spiritual and especially when it comes to vision that you are the king of kings and lord of lords you reign all over things in our life especially our finances I want you to have that conversation intimately with God as we sing together, as we worship together, and as we pray. And then in your time, there's giving stations down the back that you can go and give. And there's, there's envelopes on the seats and envelopes down the back. Now, if you've given online already, can I ask you that this process is not just as a receiving process. It's a symbol. It's a process that tells us, hey, I'm giving this to you, God. We're coming together. This is what I love. We didn't actually give an amount that we're raising And I say it because we're not fundraising today. We're building into a legacy today. And each and every one of you would have had a conversation with God, which is beautiful. Uh, And this is what I find exciting as somebody in my position, is that we've all individually gone spoken to God. And as we come back today, right across three different campuses and respond to what He said to us, we together are giving God's response. And it's not manipulated. We don't know. We haven't given a target. We're not trying to reach a target. 
We're just wanting to be obedient to what He said to each of us individually. And the beauty is when we've all come back and at the end of it in the new year, we'll talk about it and we'll discuss what we achieve together. But the beauty of it is what comes in is what God has spoken. No ifs, no buts, no manipulation, no trying to push for something. It is simply what He has said and we've responded in obedience and we've built into that legacy and we can be confident that that's what He has spoken over us as a church. And we will build with intention and we will build with care in what He has given us and we will steward it well. But we're going to pray together. Are the kids ready? Bring them in. Send in the kids. I love our kids' life program. Look at them, they're going to come in and we're all staring at them. It's good. Oh, let's cheer. Come on. Kids, find your guardians, your parents, someone that looks nice. Church, would you stand with me? We're going to worship, like I said, for a bit in your households. Just have that intimate conversation with God and then I'm going to come up and then we're going to start the process. And as you feel comfortable, like I said, it doesn't matter if you've given already. It does. But I mean, this process matters. Fill out a card, fill out an envelope and just say, I gave online, but this is my commitment. And make that, make that symbolic moment just so special for us. We're doing this. We don't collect a tithe and offering together any other time of the year, but this one. And so it's special for us. Let's do this together as a family and let's worship now. hope you enjoyed this message we would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast other ways you can connect with avant life is through youtube instagram and facebook or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com